Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. We are joined today by David J. Collins. David is a Chicago-based indie author and artist and is the writer of Gay Bash, set in Chicago's Lakeview neighborhood. Gay Bash explores the boundaries of love and friendship and the unintended consequences of wanting to be somebody else. David is currently working on Summerdale, his new non-traditional haunted house story set in our very own Andersonville and due out on bookstore shelves later this year. Welcome, David. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much. So, David, you've wanted to be an author since you were little. Tell us about yourself, your career path, and how your childhood dreams eventually came to fruition. Thank you. Um, Well, being on this podcast is certainly a big part of that. Um, When I was in grade school, our elementary school really focused on reading and the the importance of reading um, books and just having that as a part of what we do in school and what we do at home. Um, It was certainly um, a part of growing up where I listened to my parents reading to me. So books were a very big part of that. And that kind of inspired me from an early age to want to write my own. Um, One of my earliest ideas of bringing my creativity into the school environment was creating a small book called uh, Fox in a Tree Stump, where it was loose leaf paper. I masking taped everything together. And it was a very simple little story, but I brought it around for my teachers to read. And I had a comment section on the back. And every teacher that I gave it to uh, wrote comments, and they were really encouraging, and I still have it. And I guess it was from having so much encouragement in school and also at home that I decided to continue with it. Um, So I'm really excited to continue writing and be an indie author. As far as a career path, I've I've had quite a bit. I've worked for a nonprofit, which I've loved. I'm also I've also worked for for profit, and um, I've had very many different kinds of jobs. I've worked in retail. I've even been a bartender for Hilton. So along all of those paths, I've met a lot of people who have been you know who have visited Chicago from around the world, and you just pick up a lot on how people talk, the experiences they've had, what they choose to share with you, especially when you're a bartender. And that's really informed a lot of my writing and some of the characters in Gay Bash and certainly in Summerdale. Did you have a favorite cocktail to make? I'm really good at up martinis. Nice. Well, Gay Bash has a few different meanings based on the mind frame of the reader. How did you settle on the title of this book? I thought for the first novel, because it was going to be an indie publication, which means, uh, and, and the whole reason it actually came about was because it was rejected. Uh, like every artist, you, I just found myself rejected over and over again. And it, instead of discouraging me, it just, it frustrated me and I wanted to prove them wrong. So there are so many tools available to indie artists today, um, especially in publishing. So I decided to go initially the ebook route. And I knew that I wanted to make this particular story stand out. And I thought a provocative title like Gay Bash would do it. Um, and it certainly did get some attention simply because of the title. And it's also a, um, I guess you could call it an unexpected double meaning because the story is about a gay man who stands up for himself and fights back, um, which I think surprises the reader a little bit and certainly surprised uh, the two attackers at the end of the first half of the novel. You have these five tenets written on your website as to what is important to you as an author and an artist, one being sharing hope through your writing. Can you speak more to those and maybe explain how living by these tenets and setting these intentions for yourself help you in your day-to-day life? Absolutely. Um, Matt is the main character, and he lives in a, uh, a building that actually used to be where I lived um, in Lakeview. So the building is really there, and that's where the story mostly takes place. Matt is very unsure of himself. He's played by the rules his entire life, 
and he has a comfortable life, but it's really uh, very unfulfilled. Uh, he's jealous of his best friend, who is kind of like the big man on campus. Everyone knows him, uh, definitely an A-lister uh, within the community. And Matt's jealousy really drives him to make some changes in his life. Um, the physical confrontation is a turning point in the story, and it's coming from a place where he feels he has nothing left to lose, that he finally stands up for himself. Um, his journey, although his was a little bit more emotional than mine, um, we really mirrored each other because for years as I was writing Gay Bash, I was afraid of releasing it. Um, I knew that doing my research uh, when I published the ebook, once you publish it, you cannot ever take it down. So it's out, it's public forever. Um, it can never be taken back. So once I did that, I would never be able to, to kind of go back and, you know, throw on the covers and, and be comfortable and, and just um, being more in love with the process of writing and then actually having written. And I knew that to, to be, to honor these characters and to honor the story, I would need to be as brave as Matt was. And that was part of my journey. So when I hit publish and it, it became uh, an ebook and eventually a, a paperback and now it's an audiobook, it was just it was an incredible rush and it felt like another coming out because I was sharing so much more personal about all the characters and all the situations. Uh, this is a work of fiction, um, but I really wanted to reflect our reality and I was hoping uh, that by doing so, I would connect with other readers and I, I did. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, readers connected with me through Facebook, told me their own stories of bullying, um, abuse, some of it um, just in incredibly sad. I don't know how some of these men got through their childhoods, but to be able to, to connect like that um, and to have complete strangers connect with what I've done and what I've written means the world to me, and it's encouraged me to, uh, to keep going. So it's a little bit, you know, cathartic in the writing and then also in the releasing. Yes, Yes. So let's talk about social media. It can have both positive and negative implications. There is a sense of isolation that it can foster specifically with individuals that feel like they don't fit in. How does the use of social media present itself in Gay Bash and what is the lesson that we're all supposed to take away from that? Yeah. So the book came out in 2014 and it uh, mostly because of fear um, took me about six years to finish it. Um, so I really, my challenge was to keep up with what was going on with social media. It was the beginning of, uh, when I started writing this, it was really the beginning of the viral video. It was the beginning of platforms really taking off about social media becoming, um, so much more of our everyday lives, things becoming more and more mobile. And it was a challenge initially to keep up with that and think, okay, if someone reads this 15 years from now, is it going to seem dated? So I wanted those moments, those, those pieces with social media to be much more about character, much more about emotions and feelings than the technology themselves. But YouTube and Facebook play big roles um, in, in the story of Gay Bash, and it will also play a role in Summerdale. Um, there is this sense in social media of not having what everyone else does. When you scroll through and people are constantly on vacation or buying new things and you're struggling to make it to the end of the month, um, you can really start to feel down on yourself. And it's not that you're not happy for someone else, but in comparison to where you personally feel, uh, it's difficult to, to understand that mostly people put the best of, of what's going on in their lives on social media. Um, so I tried to work through that because ultimately 
um, it can certainly lead to some jealousy. And that's a lot of what Matt carried with him until toward the end of the novel. And there's a scene in Gaybash toward the end where he is speaking with a counselor named Ariana. The friendships are just based on how they look, not for anything they've accomplished. You know what? How they look is who they are. A shiver ran down Matt's spine. He gathered up the sheets and looked out the window. How they look is all they are. Take your shirt off and flex for the profile pic, unless it's a hookup app where you just slice yourself up and show where you are, but not who you are. You know, not one of those guys is making the world a better place. Not one. Ariana raised an eyebrow. Are you, Matthew? He looked shocked. This isn't about me. I'm not, one, I'm not the one forcing my privileged life onto anyone else. This is about them. And then later on the scene, they go back and forth. And then Ariana drives her point home. Matthew, you'll never build yourself up by tearing down someone else. That's jealousy, and jealousy controls you, not the other way around. Do you understand that? The only life you have the right to judge is your own. So the way I've looked at social media is to control it myself and to use it to attract people to my artwork and my creativity and inspire others that way. And I've tried to look at it as being something that's, that's very positive. It's something I'm on every day. And as far as the, the negativity, um, I just unfollow. I don't engage in, in that. And I've actually found it by doing that and being able to, to turn it off and you know put it away as I'm trying to write or do some other creative activities, I've really been able to find a balance that way. I think that's a lesson we all really need to take to heart, especially in, in this, I mean, even just in daily life, right? Because it, it, you don't have to be glued to it 24-7. Right. Right. And you don't have to kind of buy into everything you read and believe, you know, I mean, everyone's posting mm. their best selves. Like no one is posting the hard times that, that we all experience. It's always these moments. So, you know, you capture one smile and then... Curated. Yes. Curated life moments. Very. So um, your novel has strong female characters in addition to Matt and Greg. Mara is one of those such characters. And you are quoted in saying is everyone should have a Mara um, have their back. Is she based on a real life person? Do you have a Mara? I do. I have several. Mara is actually an amalgamation of several um, women I'm very lucky to have in my life. And one of them actually played uh, Mara. Her name was Joanne. And she was uh, she played Mara over the Mara's Holiday um, Instagram that I did over the holidays showing, uh, really taking a character out of Gaybash and showing her shopping in Lakeview and in Andersonville. And we had a lot of fun with that. Um, it's, it's important that Matt has a variety of, um, support around him. Of course he has, he has Greg, who is the other main character. He has his parents, but Mara is really in his corner when he needs it, and she doesn't coddle him. I would say that the the main female characters, and there are many in Gay Bash, they love Matt, and they nurture Matt, and they challenge him in very different ways, ways that the other characters simply can't do. Um, so when I was writing this, I looked at what, how are women depicted in novels written by mostly white gay men? It's not good. They're mostly reduced to... Um, fag hags, shopping partners. Um, they're in love with the gay men, so there's unrequited love there. They're not on par with the male characters, and I thought that was a huge deficiency. That's something um, that I wanted to correct in, in Gay Bash 
right down to the cover, um, which was designed uh, by a woman, one of my neighbors in the, in the building who lived in, in Matt's building as well. And I wanted this to be read by anyone and understood by anyone and could inspire anyone at the same time. So I felt that if I'm going to reflect Matt's reality, the good and the bad, there's a lot of good here. And that includes having female characters on par with the men. And authors have a certain responsibility to their readers. The character Matt is on this difficult journey of self-acceptance. What do you hope readers on their own journeys of self-acceptance will take away from this book? I hope it's okay for them to feel a little lost, regardless of how old they are, that maybe milestones that were set for them or that they set for themselves, they, they haven't hit, but there's still, a, there's still a journey. You know, at some point I could have said, well, you know, it's, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I, I haven't written that novel yet, and it's just not going to happen for me. Or you could n- not tell yourself no, because sometimes you are your biggest obstacle in your life. And understand that you may have, you know, a great condo or apartment, really be happy with work, but there are still childhood dreams, ideas that you had for yourself that can still be fulfilled. It's just a matter of balancing it and prioritizing. So I think the message also is that Matt's journey is coming from someone who has almost completely lost confidence in himself and slowly um, being in, in the, the hospital is also, uh, there's a nice metaphor there because he's healing physically, but also emotionally. And um, when he returns home, his story is not over, it continues. And at that point, he becomes so much more reliant on himself, on his own instincts, his own strength. And he realizes, and, and I hope the reader does too, that anything you're jealous of in someone else, it's already, it's in you. You just have to believe in it and release it. And that's how Matt feels at the end. He, I want Matt to feel as strong as, I want the reader to feel as strong as Matt does, that, that you're in a world of possibility and nothing can stop you. That's how I want the reader to feel. And that's how Matt feels. And, and that's kind of how I felt. And that's why I want to keep going with it. Because writing is an incredible, it's an incredible cathartic journey. That's wonderful. Have any books impacted you the way you hope Gaybash impacts others? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love, um, I read. Um, some of it is because of the times we're living in, I'm mostly reading periodicals, so I'm keeping up with, with what's going on in the world. Um, I do have some favorite um, some favorite authors, but one book that really struck me I read in high school, and it's uh, it's largely considered to be one of the very first mystery novels ever written. It's called The Moonstone by William Wilkie Collins, who was a contemporary of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It is incredibly descriptive. It paints a, um, a, a world. It's a mystery novel. But the interesting thing is at the end of it, the, main, the characters come back and they tell their own versions of the story. The, the narrator talks directly to the reader. To think that this was written in Victorian times it, it just blew me away. Even as strong as our, um, as our English program was in, uh, in junior high and high school, I had not found a book anything like this. And it really stuck with me that you can, once you know the rules as a writer, you can completely play with them and you can engage the reader in um, very non-traditional ways. So that opened up a whole new world to me. And it's just been um, a challenge to me to try to live up to that and to engage the reader in the same way with my own narrative. 
So we hear that you're also an artist and you like to work with paper. Can you tell us a little bit about your work and if you're working on anything currently? Absolutely. I have... Um, Usually I have more than one project going on at the same time. Summerdale is kind of taking over everything right now. But over the holidays, I was able to uh, to balance a little bit of holiday artwork. Um, and I work with paper. And I've, I've done this since high school. So some of my work, uh, which is three-dimensional, architectural, uh, goes back to high school. And it's, again, a world that I can just disappear into. Like I can see a story. I can see characters. I can see scenes. I can see what the structure is going to look like. Some of them I have donated to uh, wonderful organizations like Chicago House. What a great organization we have here in the city uh, when they were doing their birdhouse art auction and uh, cocktail parties. So I'm always excited to donate work. Um, but mostly it's seeing it and kind of honing in on the conversation that happens, not unlike characters, where I can draw it out, I can sketch it, I've got my dimensions, my colors. But as soon as I start cutting and creating this out of vellum paper, it, there's a conversation, and it doesn't turn out exactly the way I thought, but by being open to changes and contours and geometry, um, not unlike the contours of who the characters are in a novel, it, it comes out much better than trying to force it into what I originally envisioned. Um, so there's a lot of parallel between my artwork and, uh, and my writing. I will have more holiday artwork that you can, uh, that you can print right off my website, and uh, hang them up on the wall as holiday decoration. I'll probably do another piece for Christmas. There will be another Hanukkah piece as well. And that was very well received. And I love that we're in a uh, that we have technology where I can share, even though it's it's handmade, it's paper. Um, you can just download it and print it off, and you can share artwork um, you know, really around the world at this point. So I'll have more of those pieces, and then there will be another. Uh, there will be another product coming out in 2019 that is mass-produced, but definitely based on uh, my original artwork, which, again, is all made by hand. We'll definitely have to get some pictures of your artwork to put up on the show notes. Yes. Uh, home Tweet Home. That was your piece you did for Chicago House, correct? Yes. Is that, yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, you're very outspoken and thoughtful about supporting local businesses and making them a large part of your writing. What about local business inspires you as a writer? Sure. I believe that neighborhoods and buildings and cities themselves can play the roles of characters. I, I can't imagine gay bash happening in any other Chicago neighborhood than Lakeview. It just, it felt right. Um, the intersection, the small businesses, which included Sidetrack and Roscoe's, places where I wanted to pay homage because they were incredibly important to me in my coming out. Um, there's a confrontation scene at Halstead and Roscoe. There are just places that lend themselves to this kind of scene unfolding. So I felt that it was important to have an authentic neighborhood, a real Chicago neighborhood for Gay Bash. And I feel the same way about setting uh, Summerdale and Andersonville. And speaking of Summerdale, <laughs> so Summerdale is your upcoming horror novel due yes. out in October this year, and it's centered on isolation, addiction, and self-deception. Can you tell us a little bit more about what readers can expect from that novel? And in particular, why did you choose Andersonville for the setting this time? <laughs> sure. So you're probably thinking, horror, great. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Are you kidding? Oh, awesome. Yes, bring it on. Perfect. Um, so the, the theme is, uh, and what's going to come out in October is the first half of the first novel of a series. 
So there won't be very many conclusions at the end of, of what you read in October, um, but it, there will be some conclusions next October and then and then on from there. Prequels, um, additional chapters. So it's I'm creating a world that will that will simply continue. Um, Andersonville, there's a there's a number of reasons why. Um, first of all, one of my favorite directors uh, in the genre is is Alfred Hitchcock, and I think the way he combined suspense and setting is genius. So when you look at some of my favorites, would be um, indelible scenes of his. When you look at the birds in Bodega Bay. When you look at Vertigo and Mission San Juan Batista, why did he choose those beautiful, picturesque locations? Um, and it's it really it's it's for the contrast. It's for the unexpected. It's to see a beautiful street like Summerdale and think what's going on behind there. What is behind these beautiful facades? And that's where the surprise of the story comes through. Um, the other reason was I'm going to bring up a number of very pressing issues um, in our society today and, and in particular in the gay community. And I needed to think about setting the story in a neighborhood where it would be plausible that these kinds of conversations are happening. And I think that's Andersonville. Um, we are talking, I am going to be talking through the analogy, through the metaphor of addiction through the characters about racism in the gay community, misogyny, um, substance abuse. This is a story about addiction, so substance abuse, physical abuse, this will be a part of it, um, told through the characters and through the chapters. And when I look at how real this neighborhood is, um, the amazing work that's being done through Women and Children First with author readings and the diversity that's coming through, it just it makes sense to me. All the pieces simply fit. Plus, there's a dynamic. I mean, this is such a destination neighborhood. Um, it it was just it was that was the answer. As as these characters were coming to me, and I was thinking even even down to the architecture of of what Summerdale House is, which to the character is a real place. It's not something imagined or metaphysical. Um, and the fact that there are so many beautiful four square houses here, Summerdale is not a it's not a haunted house. It's a beautiful house. It's a place that you would, if you see it, if you see it, you would want to live in it. And that's part of the attraction is it's not run down. It's beautiful. It's a place that you would be proud to, to go home to because of how it looks. And that's also part of the deception. Well, you reference local shops in your novel. Which ones can we expect uh, to make an appearance in Summerdale? Well, that's, oh, Laura, that's such a great question. So that was fairly fairly easy to do in in gay bash although if something i will say if if something bad happened in a scene i didn't name i just kind of made something up um and then some of them are made up as tribute characters so um like the dive bar in gay bash called helen of troy um there's a reference to wolf's tea exchange wolf's will be there will be an anderson version um did you know that wolf's tea exchange is opening in andersonville um <laughs> welcome and you might we'll get have a, new, a ribbon cutting <laughs> there'll be a ribbon cutting that would be hey we could do that on insta yeah um you may get a new dive bar called helen of troy um, I think they're coming to Ashland. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I, I'm, I'm thinking through if any of the small business owners would really want the devil coming in for brunch on a Sunday morning. and Maybe Scotty at Svea. 
Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll reach out. Um, so I'm I'm kind of hesitating that way to do too too much of that. I would, mm-hmm. of course, as as I did with uh, with Gay Bash. Um, I had the owners of Sidetrack and Roscoe read the book. They they needed to read it to approve it. That's just that's not only good manners. That's just that's legal. Um, and they they both had very minimal comments and and said absolutely let's let's do it. So that's how they got in. So if there are any, um, I would certainly be reaching out to the owners. But at this point, um, I don't think Mr. McGreevy is going to be having um, you know brunch or you know doing uh doing some too much shopping uh there'll be references there's lots of references to clark and ashland um but i don't know that i'll be focusing in the same way in somerdale as i did in gay bash well what's really interesting is um your characters matt and greg and gay bash on somerdale cowboys and astronauts had opened up in november and yes. real life partners matt and greg own that so which is hilarious yeah. and we yeah the, i will definitely be tying you know tying that in um, and they've been, the stories, it's such a great addition. Um, and they were included in, in Mara's Holiday. And I'll certainly, you know, hope by name, by the name of the street only, um, it, it, that, that, you know, that, that they'll be a part of, uh, of Somerdale because it's such a great shop that they've both put together. So um, are there any businesses in Andersonville that you would trade places with for a day? Oh, see, I just came from True North and had an amazing kale shake. So, uh, you know, I've, I've got to <laughs> give props to Andy. Um, Transistor is an amazing, and I met Andy when, uh, you know, when he was in Lakeview and it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing store. Um, I think Brimfield is amazing. I just, I love plaid and tartan. So I'm kind of in heaven there. Um, I have to say though, women and children first because of who they are, what they stand for. Um, they're fighters. I love it. And they welcomed Gay Bash, and in such a crucial point, and they could have said no, no, you're an indie. No, they didn't do that. They welcomed, and you wouldn't know. I'm on the same shelf as other published, and that's just their way. Um, so I would, I would probably say of of them, um, just because of the connection with writing, women and children first. Well, David, you'll be joining us at Midsummer Fest this year. Yes. Are you excited about that? I am very excited. I'm very excited. Um, I think as much as I, I, you know, I have a website and, and social media, I think it's incredibly important that you meet people. And Midsummerfest happens to be in June, which is when I happen to have the Kickstarter going for Summerdale. And it's, it's in the neighborhood. So there were, there were so many compelling reasons to, um, to do it. But I've, I love Midsummerfest. I've been here many times. My friends love it. It's, it's the beginning of summer. It's such a good feeling um, when you're here. The the mix, the the warm reception that you get, being able to you know visit your pop into your favorite stores while you're up and down the midway on Clark. Um, so I'm very excited to be a part of all that. So without further ado, I think we're going to ask you to read us a little sneak peek preview here of Summerdale. Absolutely, I'm excited too. Um, so what I'm going to read is the very beginning of the story, and this is uh, from the first chapter. The chapters are named for the characters, and the first chapter is named Eric, and this is how Eric finds Somerdale. The old house appeared to Eric just as the leafy low branches parted for him at Somerdale and Wayne. The house unveiled itself to Eric suddenly, a fine American foursquare with thin double-width red bricks and stained-glass windows on the first floor and a white wooden clapboard on the second. 
A wide dormer window peeked out of the triangular-pointed roof topped by a Hercules weather vane. Turned balusters matched wide circular columns on a porch that stretched the length of the house. The stairs from the porch toppled down to the sidewalk, for the house appeared to Eric upon a hill, with overgrown ivy crawling upon the stairs. From the sidewalk, Eric squinted to make out a plaque on a porch column. Summerdale House, circa 1837. Just then, in a large picture window, a hand appeared and dropped a four-rent sign in front of white curtains. And the hand was gone. The curtains were still shaking when the front door opened. Eric stood at the intersection of Summerdale and Wayne, an intersection he didn't know, in a neighborhood he didn't know, and stared at a house that appeared to him. He had been aimlessly walking around Andersonville, deciding his next move, and had passed on several for-rent signs and renovated apartment buildings on his walk. But this house was different, familiar, as if he knew its inside from its outside. The front door stayed open, a door with fine wood details and leaded glass. Each beveled pane shined like a diamond. This, too, Eric could see from the sidewalk. An old man walked onto the porch. He smiled down at Eric. Why don't you come in and have a look? Eric sprang from his trance. Sorry, I was just noticing your house. I studied architecture in college. He drew his eyes up and down the street. It's a nice foursquare. It's different from all the others on the street. Quite different. You're looking for a place, aren't you? The old man shouted. Actually, I, I am, Eric furrowed his thick brows. How do you know that? I've been doing this for a long time. He darted his eyes to the picture window. That old four rent sign doesn't last five minutes anymore. Come on inside, get out of this morning heat. Shrugging his wide shoulders, he bounded up the stairs and held out his hand. I'm Eric. The old man put down his curled up newspaper on a wicker table and shook. Name's McGreevy. Nice to meet you, Mr. McGreevy. Come on in, Eric. Let's leave this door open. It'll get a cross breeze. And Eric entered Summerdale House. Mr. McGreevy propped the front door open with a heavy doorstop, a kitten standing on its hind legs with a paw raised into a hello gesture. Tacky, Eric thought. Just through here. Eric, right? McGreevy asked, smirking. Um, yes, it's Eric, he said, following McGreevy's waving hand through a parlor of dark wood paneling and built-in glass cabinets. A cream-tiled fireplace with wooden columns and carvings held a mottled mirror within it. Eric's reflection swiveled and shook as he walked past. Landscape paintings hung on every cord, hooked high on railings that encircled the square room. McGreevy stopped. Oh, I just finished sealing the front stairs yesterday. Let's use the back. He turned to Eric and chuckled. It's always something with a house this old. Eric paused, admiring a cherry newel post and carved rail ascending. And then he stopped, set one foot back toward the open door. McGreevy turned, sensing reluctance. It's fine, Eric. Look, with arms like yours, I'm the one who should be scared. All right. He followed McGreevy up a narrow switchback staircase off the kitchen, peeking into a green, slightly overgrown backyard through diamond-shaped windows on every landing. Finally, on the third floor, they alighted. Phew, no elevators in the 1830s, McGreevy said with a laugh. And this is your room, Eric, he said, opening a simple wooden door. Eric stepped inside. His eyes widened. This is an apartment, he shouted, elated, looking over drawers built into the wall, speakers built into the ceiling, three large windows looking onto leafy Wayne Avenue and shiny, dark hardwood floors, a king-size four-poster bed, a mini-fridge beneath a microwave, a big-screen TV over a fireplace, couches, tables. He turned to McGreevy. Seriously? The old man grinned. Have a look in the bathroom. Eric darted across the freshly waxed floor and opened the door McGreevy pointed to. 
Holy shit! Eric bounced inside to admire the marble floors, double sink, clawfoot bathtub, and corner tile and glass enclosure with a 360-degree shower system that Eric had only seen in upscale health clubs. A rain array? Eric yelled as he opened the heavy glass shower door. His words echoed as he paused at the array of pivoted heads, pivoted horizontal and vertical sprays with digital controls. How do you have a rain array? McGreevy laughed. I try to keep up with what young people want. Eric closed the glass door gently and shook his head. I just, I wasn't expecting this. I thought it was going to be some little room with one light hanging down from the ceiling. He walked to the clawfoot tub and turned on the hot. He turned it off once the water burned his fingers. So, Eric started, drying his hands on his shorts. What's this cost? Let's go back down to the kitchen and talk terms. But you like it? McGreevy raised an eyebrow. Everything you ever wanted? Eric chuckled, amazed. It's like you read my mind. That morning, Eric moved in. Ooh, shivers. Uh-oh, I don't feel so good about Mr. McGreevy there. No. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about David J. Collins, please visit www.davidjcollins.com. Gay Bash is available as an audiobook, paperback and downloadable to your kindle but we recommend visiting women and children first for your copy show notes and more can be found at andersonville.org always andersonville the podcast is engineered and edited by andy miles in studio c at transistor a gallery shop performance recording and teaching space located at 5224 north clark street have your own podcast idea the studio is available to rent please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.